0: Through compassion, it is possible to recognize that the cravings for love that people feel resides also in our own hearts, that the cruelty that the world knows all too well is also rooted in our impulses. Through compassion, we also sense our hope for forgiveness in our friends' eyes and our hatred in their bitter mouths. When they kill, we know that we couldn't have done it or rather could have done it.
1: Yes, a very important distinction.
0: Indeed. When they give life, we know that we can do the same. For a compassionate person, nothing human is alien. No joy, and no sorrow, no way of living, and no way of dying.
1: There's two readings. I
0: thought you had another person. No. This is from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter, verses 3 through 7. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. He is the one who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. That is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's sufferings. So if we have trouble, it is to bring you comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is to bring you comfort from the experience of endurance while you go through the same sufferings that we also suffer. Our hope for you is certain because we know that as you are partners in suffering, you
1: are also partners in comfort. I should mention that, that first reading was uh, from a book, The Wounded Healer um, by Henry Nowen, which Patrick failed to uh, mention there. That's <laughs> okay. We're going to come back to those readings. I want to start by telling you a little story. It was in 2009, I was, um, I'm from LA, I was ready to move to Chicago, to go to grad school. So, this is actually the day before I, I, I drove across the country on a Monday. So, this is a Sunday. Uh, I set to move to Chicago the next day. It was my last day at uh, my home church at the time, which is a church that belonged to my father. My father is a minister, and he uh, became a minister when I was 11 or so. And, uh, and he also started his own church, planted his own church, when I was about 13. My father and I have something of a, a strained relationship. The reason for that isn't something like he was like a terrible dad who like hate me or something because he was not like that really at all uh, in fact in many ways he was actually a, a great dad I, I have you know fond memories of playing baseball with him as a child and uh, going to Disneyland and Chuck E. Cheese and whatever <laughs> kids do um, but as I got older it became apparent to me that there was some sort, type of wound there for me that there was Uh, a pain regarding my relationship with my father that had been building for quite some time. My father, he possesses many of the stereotypical traits of a a Korean man, and I don't know how familiar you might be. I know Yoon is well aware, but uh, these traits are been passed down from father to son over many generations. It's, you could sort of say, um, an inability or a lack of desire to express emotions. Uh, besides anger an inability to show affection a quick temper um, a real reticence to talk <laughs> you know to to say words in general um, and the uncanny ability to sort of like rule rule a home with fear and you know I feel like I, I have been harmed by some of the nature of that relationship because of those traits and again it's difficult for me to like pinpoint to you why that's the case it's not like I can tell you about a, some crazy incident that happened, or one day my father did this. It's not like that. It just, it's just this over time sort of being raised in this manner um, that's hard for me to, to put into words. But I feel it, right? It comes to me. I know it's there. Uh, I see it in myself. So on that last Sunday before I was going to move to Chicago, I felt pretty normal, which is strange because it's, it's not normal to feel normal when you're about to leave. Uh, the church you've been at for a decade or about to leave the only home you've known. So sometimes you know, I have a problem feeling proper emotion. Um, My mother had asked me to sing a song for the offering. And again, I had done that as well many, many times before. And so I felt no different than any other week. And so I went to the service. I sat there through, uh, this is a Korean speaking service. uh, And so I sat there through the Korean hymns, which I know by heart only phonetically uh, I don't know what the words actually mean, and I sat there next to my mother while my father was up at the pulpit. And so when it was my time, when the offering time came, I went up there and I sang a song that my mom had requested, uh, and I sang it with uh, great conviction, which is evidenced by uh, the closing of one's eyes as they sing. Um, it's, how you, it's how you show that you're really feeling it and uh, into it. So, I did that, I, I, I had my eyes closed and I sang this song, and I, when I opened them, I looked out and I saw my mother, she was crying, which was uh, not unusual, right? My mother is the type of person who cries during like a television commercial or um, when I'm gonna go hang out with my friends or something, you know, like. Um. But when I, sat, when I sat back down, I looked at my father on the, on the pulpit, and his face was contorted in this strange way. Uh, that I had never seen uh, such an expression. And I realized that he was, like my mother, deeply in tears. I'd only seen my father cry maybe once before. It happened when I was um, around 15. He sat us down. Uh, My grandmother, his mother had just died, and so we were having, like, a a family talk about that. And so, um, but he had not cried, to the best of my recollection, at the actual funeral. and now here he was that day, this uh, sort of hardened Korean man, father person, um, crying like a baby, like really like a child uh, in front of all these people, his congregation, um, and in front of me. We never talked about it afterwards, which is, uh, which is not surprising. Uh, but. Yeah, he never told me, like, why he cried or said anything to me about it. I don't know if it was because I was leaving home uh, to move far, far away. Or maybe because he was proud that I was going to go to school to study divinity and do something that he's been doing. Uh, Whether they were tears of pride or sorrow, I'm not really quite sure. It didn't really matter to me. I don't really have much of an impulse to ask him. But it still was an incredibly pivotal moment because that's... Sort of. I know this can be a process sometimes, but sort of the moment which I pinpoint as uh, when I was able to start seeing my father as a person. So we're talking about healing as a as a theme that we're going through in this little series. Um, I'm not really certain how to talk about healing when it comes to the soul. When we think about like healing in the body, we have some sort of standard, right? Like if you have a fracture, you get the x-ray, it's healed. Or if you have an infection, you take antibiotics and it's healed. But when we talk about uh, the soul, right, The, the mind, the inner life, how can we really tell what healing is? As I think about experiences in my life that I've sort of processed some aspect of healing, I realized that healing is something that's like always happening, it's infinitely continuous. It's sort of like, again, to use the biological analogy, you have like these cuts, um, but they leave scars, right, and you never, uh, you never quite return to the state you were in before. Right? You never are back to normal. The philosopher uh, Immanuel Kant, he had this argument, which is fascinating in some ways and kind of stupid in others, but uh, <laughs> this argument that eternal life had to be rationally true, because. It's the only way, if we could have that time, eternal time, uh, is the only way we could live in a moral way up to the standards of, of reason. And so perfection is I- impossible within the bounds of time. I think you could argue similarly that uh, the healing of the soul needs that sort of endless time as well. And if you ask me, I think it's probably a worthier uh, reason for everlasting life or a, um, an infinite existence than, than reason of, of ethics, but it's a, it's a different uh, argument to be made. And so, But if we think about this, I think there's a fatal flaw that we have when we talk about being wounded or being hurt as an imperfection. Because what's implied there is that there is such a thing as perfect health um, at all. I made a. I was actually talking about this similar topic a couple weeks ago here, and I made an argument that we as human beings need healing by virtue of just being born, right? Just by existing. That existence itself causes us harm. And if that's true, then striving towards some state of being completely healed doesn't make any sense. It's an impossibility, right? It's like uh, if you guys ever heard that famous David Foster Wallace. Uh, quote, speech thing. He talks about, you know, a fish asking, what is water, right? It doesn't make any sense to them. It's like an existence that they cannot separate from reality. And so what, what can we do? If I'm making the case that we can't actually, like, be really healed, uh, what are we going to do about it? In Neil's first sermon, I don't know if you, any, uh, how many of you guys were there, but he laid out four uh, areas in which Uh, we want to consider healing to take place. One is personal, one is in relationships, one is in society, um, and one is with God. Today, my task is to talk about the relational aspect, right? And by that, I mean the way that healing finds itself in sort of one-to-one relationship between two people. Now, obviously, all four of these are going to have they're going to be intertwined in such a way that it's really impossible to talk about one without at least mentioning the other aspects. Um, But again, I want, if we can just sort of focus our attention on the you and me, the one-on-one, the friend to friend, the parent to child, um, stranger to stranger, the one-on-one connection. So if my goal is to not figure out a way to be healed in the sense of being cured, then what am I actually to do? If we, are not looking for a place of complete wellness, if our focus is not this end that uh, we can never get to, but it is a continual process of living a life um, that's always in its own way giving us both aspects of harm and healing, um, and if our focus is on a relationship between two people, <coughs> A relationship that when, it, when they come together is always, again, that ever-present possibility of both pain and healing. Um, the question I want to ask and sort of make an argument for is, uh, how is it that with our wounds, with our own pain, um, can we strive to be a source of healing for other people? There, there's a, that uh, phrase we've all heard before, right, the blind leading the blind, it's often used. <clears throat> derisively as uh, something you shouldn't do. But in this case, in this uh, arena, there's an argument to be made, and it's an argument that's been made by many people. I'm just sort of uh, hitching myself to it. That only the wounded can heal the wounded. That it is actually our woundedness that gives us the capacity that serves as a source of healing for other people. The main image I want to give to you is the image of the wounded healer, which um, again, Henry Nowen talks about in his book. Also, Jung made it famous um, in psychoanalysis. But the wounded healer is this idea that uh, in order to be present in relationships, we have to come to see the pain in ourselves first, right? I want to read again that quote that Patrick started with, because I know it's hard to Um, sometimes out of context, hear these things well, but through compassion, it is possible to recognize that the craving for love that people feel resides also in our own hearts, that the cruelty that the world knows all too well is also rooted in our own impulses. Through compassion, we also sense our hope for forgiveness in our friends' eyes and our hatred in their bitter mouths. When they kill, we know that we could have done it, when they give life, we know that we can do the same. For a compassionate person, nothing human is alien, no joy and no sorrow, no way of living and no way of dying. In other words, uh, that's the end of the quote, in other words, the knowledge and acceptance of our own pain, that's what gives us the proper ability to see other people's pain, right? And more than that, it gives us the ability to actually see them as people. Again, that phrase, which I really, really love, nothing human is, is alien. Um, right? We could use a quote like that to talk about racism. We could talk, use a quote like that to talk about societal issues. Um, I'm going to leave that up to Neil when he talks about that. But we focus on a relationship. It's just as true. If we embrace compassion that comes with self-knowledge, our power to be healing sources for other people can grow, can take place. This is another quote from Nouwen that comes right actually right after this. I want to read to you. Compassion is a possibility of a woman to forgive her sister because forgiveness is only real for her who has discovered the weakness of her friends and the sins of her enemy in her own heart and is willing to call every human being her sister. I think we all reached a point and probably for this group in this, around this age uh, where, again, like I, I mentioned earlier, we begin to see our parents as people. Our eyes are open to the fact that their inner worlds or look a lot like ours, right? that they have, in the course of their lives, gone through many things that we are going through right now. Um, and just as much as we can imagine raising a child and screwing it up terribly, they <laughs> entered into that arrangement uh, with that same fallibility to them, right? that, that, that risk. And, uh, you know, here we are as, as living proof of that. Um, while this, I didn't want to really want to make this sermon about reconciliation with my father. I think it's important to me to note that reconciliation, healing in that capacity, while never complete, while always ongoing, um, began again in that, in, in that moment that I shared, that moment of seeing him as a person and beginning to have compassion for him, right? It sounds a little weird to be like, I have compassion for my father uh but all i mean to say by that is i began to recognize in him his his humanness right um, the same humanness in myself and when i was when i was able to see that forgiveness uh, healing again not done and complete but a process that begins there right it's also important to mention that the idea of our wounds, the idea of the wounded healer becoming a source of healing out of our pain is not, is not a glorification of pain, right? It's not uh, saying like, hey, man, being messed up is great, or um, it's also not the sort of selfish babbling I think that people do sometimes when they just want to like tell you all about their problems and uh, all the things that they're dealing with. Um, more than that, more than those two things, right, it's, it's a constant willingness to see one's own pain and suffering as rising from this thing that we all share, right? That passage from 2 Corinthians, which I apologize for because it's incredibly poorly written and reads terribly, um, but the basic premise, right, this idea of God's comfort for us um, That central Christian story that God becomes flesh, and not just uh, flesh, but a full person who was wounded to the point of death. Um, That idea of incarnation, God coming and being in solidarity with this, right? God's comfort um, is a comfort that comes from God's own pain, from Christ's own pain, so that God uh, could be life for us, right? So that we can be life for other people, right? Even for God, God couldn't just be like, hey man, I'm God and I can do whatever and I just like, it's all, I'm gonna make it feel good. It's all good. No, God knew that the only way that God, that we can really be in healing relationships is to share in that pain, right? That's to me, um, the real heart of the incarnation, right? That, that, that's possible. All right, so I'm basically done. I wanna leave you with two things before I go. Um, I, these are sort of related to what I just said. They're also related to uh, personal aspects of healing and societal aspects so you know, Neil, f- feel free to use these if you like or if you don't. But um, the first I wanna say is about paying attention, right? To be a presence for other people, right? To be someone who is a healing source for other people demands that we're attentive to them. Attentive to them in a way that fights against um, how we commonly encounter people in these interpersonal moments, right? Uh, Encounters that are often fraught with the desire to instrumentalize people or to dominate them, uh, to think about what we can get from them or how they're relating to insecurities in our own minds. Um, In other words, the ability to pay attention to be healing for other people is Bound up, right, it's inseparable from our willingness to explore our own selves, right, our own pain. It's inseparable from the discipline of examining your own inner life. Henry now in in the book, he uses the image of a house um, that in order to be hospitable to other people, right, a place where people can come and find healing, one must first be comfortable in their own home, right? That's the sort of image that he gives us. And when we create such a space within ourselves, that's when we allow other people to come to feel free, to feel accepted, um, and to find healing for themselves, right? The second is a true community is one, I think. Where we are sort of all these people, right, different people. We have all our own stuff, um, our own shit that we've gone through in the world. And when you bring that together, it's a a collective bringing of our pain in a lot of ways, right? When we bring it together, we can use it then for something better, right? And uh, I think a community's job in regards to being a place like that is sort of twofold. One is a good community, I think, will be challenging to each person uh, to resist the temptation to try to find healing uh, in sources that just cannot provide it right. And so, like churches, unfortunately, have done a, not a great job of this, uh, as we all have seen in, in the world. The idea that, oh, if you do this thing, or uh, act this way, God will reward you, or if you have this job, or find this right partner, um, then that, that that pain will go away. I think um, it's actually the church's job to argue against that message, right? I, don't, I think that's a false idol in a lot of ways. And so that's one thing. And then the other part, again, is um, as we do that, as people who are bringing their pain together in a collective, communal way, recognizing that we're all broken people uh, and confessing that, that's when we're able to transform what is so often an isolated battle into a communal hope for something better. So. We usually will do a discussion part. Um, I had a lot of trouble thinking of what is discussable, but I think uh, I want to, you know, this. If there was one takeaway, again, it's this image that I want you to leave with: this wounded healer image. I want to ask whether or not that image actually is helpful to us. You know, I think that uh, I can think of ways in which I'm really drawn to that image, and other ways in which I'm not. There are ways in which that image is also sort of an, an older image, right? An image that may not really uh, resonate with right now. And so uh, that's my first question. Is that an image that is actually helpful, right? That's compelling to us, that is helpful for us to think about how we ought to be? The second thing I would ask is less of a conceptual discussion, but an actual um, sharing of a moment perhaps in which seeing someone as a person really came to light right and i know that some of those stories will be hard to share and this is not the most intimate of settings so uh, don't feel compelled but if anybody in your table does feel like they want to share something like that that'd be great do have any questions or anything before we go into discussion rebuttals okay <laughs>